Morning, City Walk Church. How we doing? Come on. Well, we, as Caven said, we are so glad that you're here on week three of City Walk Church. And uh, today, man, such a beautiful day outside, and uh, we are thankful that you're here. And as Caven said, we want to make it easy for you to get connected. And uh, he mentioned to you the app that we have. Uh, if you haven't downloaded it, I'd encourage you to download it. And actually, what you can do when you download it is right on the front screen, there's a thing that says resources, and you click on it, and then you click on Sunday, and then... You have all the sermon notes, you have a bulletin, you wondered like, man, when I go to church, usually like they hand me a stack of papers that I can make paper airplanes out of, um, you know, when I get bored, I didn't get one of those today. All that information is in the app, and so I would encourage you, if you haven't already downloaded it, go ahead and download that. That's a great way to get engaged and stay connected. Another way that you can get connected, and it's something brand new that we're doing starting today, uh, is Five minutes after the service, we're going to do a thing called Explore City Walk, and we're going to do it every single week. So if you can't stay this week, uh, you can do it in the future. And it's going to be a 10-minute time together right down here, five minutes after the service. And we're going to take about eight to 10 minutes and just share with you a little bit more about the church, answer your questions. We've gotten a lot of questions from a lot of people about, hey, when's the youth group starting or how do I get connected? And so Explore City Walk five minutes after the service right in this section here is, is what we're going to do to help with that process. So I'd encourage you, if you have a little extra time, there's not a big game on today. Uh, after the service, stay after, and uh, we'll, we'll take just, like I said, 10 minutes, and we'll uh, explain some things and answer your questions for you. And so, so that's right after the service. This week uh, is a really, really important week, and if you don't know why it's an important week, you probably need to look at your calendar, because this week is Valentine's Day. And uh, there are some of you, some of you guys are like, yes, I'm so glad he just said that because I would have forgotten. But, but this is a week where we can blow it royally or we can win a lot of brownie points. And in your relationship, there's probably some expectations. And uh, if you're one of those people that goes big on Valentine's Day, then the next few days for you is go time. Like, you got to get your stuff together and make sure that, that it's as big as it was last year because, man, you've got some expectations that our, our people are waiting for you to meet. You might be in a relationship right now, and this is even harder. You're kind of in a relationship, and it's that awkward first Valentine's Day where you're not sure, is, should I get the red rose or the white rose? Is red too much? Is it candy? Dinner? Nice dinner? Medium dinner? Like, where are we in this relationship? And so, but, but there's probably some expectations, and my advice for you is simply this, don't blow it. Because it could look bad, it could go bad for you. But but whether we like it or not, we all bring expectations to relationships. You bring expectations to your whether you're married or single. Uh, you have expectations for, for for just friends of yours, and we all have different expectations that we bring into relationships. And just like we do that with our human relationships, whether you're somebody that's a follower of Jesus or whether you're somebody that's kind of investigating this thing, probably you bring expectations to this whole thing of Jesus. 
And over the first few weeks of our church, we've been in this series called Unfiltered Jesus. And one of the filters that we see Jesus through is we see him through expectations. So for you, you have expectations of kind of what you expect from Jesus. And and that might be from how you were brought up. It might be from somebody that taught you. It might just be ideas that you kind of came up with in your own study. But every single one of us have expectations that we have of Jesus and on the other side, we all have, we all wonder, so what does Jesus expect from me? It's kind of two-sided. And Jesus, when he was here on earth, and when he was in the midst of his ministry, Jesus took this idea of, of expectations, and he defined it very definitively in the book of Luke. He defined it very definitively for two people, two groups of people that could not have been more polar opposites. It was the, it was the, if you're from the Midwest, it was the Ohio State and Michigan fans, polar opposites. It was the Republicans and Democrats, polar opposites. It was the Giants and the Dodgers, like polar opposites. And Jesus, as he was talking to two groups of people that from a human perspective could not have been more different, he dove in and really defined definitively this idea of expectations. And whether you're using the app or maybe you have your Bible there, it'll be up on the screen. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, we see who the two groups were that Jesus was talking to. Luke 15, 1 says it this way. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So you have one group of people that are the tax collectors and sinners. So sinners are, that's pretty easy. Like those are people that do things that are sinful. And then you have tax collectors that are so bad, they don't even get put in the category with the sinners. They're like, they have their own category. I mean, they are people, they are hated in this society. And so you have the tax collectors and sinners in this corner. And then there's another group of people. And it says in verse 2, And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So you have the tax collectors and sinners. And then you have the the religious scribes and the Pharisees kind of in this corner. And the religious people are are looking at Jesus and saying, there he goes again, eating with people you're not supposed to eat with, hanging out with the wrong crowd. There he goes. And Jesus knows that these two groups are right there. And it's always been a come and see invitation for Jesus. So whether you are a Sunday school kid or a pothead, you are invited to come and see Jesus. And so Jesus knows he has these two types of people right there. And so he he says he does something that he did masterfully throughout the New Testament. He begins a story. And he says this as he begins his story. He, He talks about two sons. And remember who he's talking to. He says this in verse 11 as he sits down the Pharisees and the scribes and the, 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 the tax collection centers. And it's story time with Jesus. Listen up, guys. And here's what Jesus says as he begins to really kind of get into what the expectations of all these people 
were of him. He says this, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So this younger son, he comes to his dad and he does something that that in our society doesn't seem real weird, but in this society was totally messed up. The younger son comes to his dad and says, Dad, I I want you to go ahead and give me all of my inheritance right now. And he would only get his inheritance in, in most cases when his dad was very close to death or had already died. And so basically what this son is saying to his dad is simply this, I wish you were dead. Go ahead, I'm going to treat you as if you were dead. Go ahead and give me everything that I deserve just like if you were dead. And so he goes on and, and, and it says he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So the younger son, he hangs out for a, a few weeks. Then he catches a plane to L.A., and it says the far country. I mean, he, he's going somewhere. Man, he's seen some pictures of it on Instagram. It looks like a hopping place. And he, he jumps on Southwest and he heads to L.A. And it says he's in the far country. And man, he's a club rat. He's getting trashed every night. He's with a different woman every single day. He's, he's hooking up with so many people. He's at the point of boredom. He's, the Bible just calls it reckless living. But then something happens. See, the the far country made some promises to this guy that it didn't come through on. And so it says that he squandered, and it doesn't say how long, but he squandered his property, he squandered all the money, he squandered everything in reckless living. And then verse 14, it says this, And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. See, life in the far country was not what he expected. It never is. And he was at a point now where his real life and what was really taking place did not match up to the pictures he had seen on Instagram of what it was supposed to be like in the far country. And so he's at a place in his life now where he is in need, he has no money left, there's a famine in the country, everything's going bad. And, and he, become, he, he begins to realize that this one thought, the area where you are in need may be the very place your story shifts, and that's exactly what was about to happen to this younger son. And maybe you can relate, maybe you can remember your story. And you can remember a time when, man, you were in the far country and you were trying to fill your life with everything the far country had to offer. And you came up wanting. You came up saying, this was not what it was supposed to be like. And now in need, it's a place where now you begin to look up and say, what I'm doing isn't working. There must be a different way. 
And that might be a financial crisis, that might be a relational crisis, that might be depression, that might be a lot of different things, but that place of need many times pushes our head up to think there's got to be a better way. The need can shift the narrative. And that's what began to happen in this young man's life. In verse 15, it says this. And and again, remember who Jesus is talking to. Remember the, the groups of people that he's telling this story to. And he says this. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. See, he's not ready to go home yet. We can probably relate. He's like, I got a little too much pride. I'm going to still try to work this thing out myself. And so he hired himself out. I can fix this myself. I'm going to get a job. And, And here's what his job was. It says, he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Which for you and I are like, all right, feed pigs, that's pretty bad. But for this guy in his culture... This was like the bottom rung of the bottom rung. Like hanging out with pigs was, I mean, awful. And it says he got to a spot where in verse 16 it says he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. See, in this young man's desperation, what he would have have never fathomed became his reality. What he would have never thought would happen, like his worst case scenario, his worst nightmare was now his reality. He's literally in the pig pen just hoping that he could have a little bit of the food that the pigs are eating. He's that desperate. See, his desperation had lowered his expectations quite a bit. Can you relate with that? Like when you're desperate... When you're really screwed up and you're, you're in your relationship with God, you're like, well, I know I'm not worthy of, of God and, and I know I can't have this and this and I know God's not going to love me as much as he used to. And so we begin to lower our expectations because we have certain expectations of God and he could not be happy with us. He must be ready to punish us. Everything's going to change in my relationship with him because of where I messed up. And that's where this kid's at. Like, he's so desperate now, he doesn't want to live it up in the far country. The boy just wants a little of the food the pigs are eating. His expectations have lowered incredibly. But here's where Jesus disrupts things all the time. He always disrupts our expectations of him. What we expect of him and what he expects of us, he changes that. See, our desperation should not lower our expectations, but our desperation should raise our expectations. And here's why. Because grace is always greater than effort. You cannot outwork grace. And no matter what this boy did, no matter what kind of past he had and how he tried to make up for it, he could not outwork grace. But we try to. See, I love what Dallas Willard said. I love this quote. He said this. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. 
Just because God's gracious and just because this young man was going to experience grace doesn't mean that you still don't, don't give effort, but it's not opposed to effort, but it's opposed to the idea of earning favor because of my effort. Because that's not how God works. But this young man, he, he wasn't sure. And so here's what happens. Verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, when the light bulb went on in his mind as he's there starving in the pig pen, literally, here's what he does. He starts talking to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So this guy, he's at a spot in his life where he decides his best option is to go back and work for his dad. Because a light bulb comes on, he's like, my dad's servants have it better than I do. So you know what? There's no way my dad's going to take me back as a son, and I get it. I've done a lot of craziness. I've embarrassed him, but maybe he'll take me back as a hired servant, and if he does, I'm way ahead of where I am now. And so he he begins to kind of put his speech together, kind of what he's going to say to his dad. He begins to think it through, but there was one huge flaw in his thinking, and it was simply this. The son believed he would get what he deserved. And that was a huge flaw in his thinking. See, the son believed his sin had earned him an unrepairable relationship with his father. And so as he began to rehearse what he was going to say to his daddy, he was rehearsing it with this mindset, there's no way my dad's taking me back, and so let me lower my expectations. Maybe he'll let me be a servant. And so it says in verse 20, and he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt anger. His father saw him and felt, you fill in the blank. He felt revenge. He felt embarrassed. He felt What would your expectations be? When your love is rejected, the most natural emotion is anger to diminish the relationship, to kind of protect yourself. And so, of course, when he saw his son, I'm sure, in his heart, he felt not not what we think. It says this, but while he was still a long way off, See, see, Jesus seems to be more concerned with direction, not perfection. See, his, his son was a long way off, but he was headed home. It says, his father saw him. Why did his father see him a long way off? Because he had been looking for him, hoping that he would come home. And it says... He felt compassion, and he ran. And in this society, men didn't run. Like, it was disrespectful to be like the head of the house and run. Because you were in charge. People ran to you. You didn't run. But this guy, he 
shamelessly runs towards his son. And it says he embraced him and he kissed him. I mean, and the son, he starts the speech and dad's like, dude, I don't want to hear it. See, he ran to him. He ran to him for two reasons. One, because of his passion for his son. But number two, probably for protection for his son because his son had embarrassed the whole area and he was saying, nobody's touching my kid. He's my son. And he passionately ran after his reckless son. But dad, I'm not worthy. You're right. You've never been worthy Man, I've changed your diapers. Yeah, I've given you so much, you'll never be worthy. Even if you make the NFL and give me money, you can't make it up to me. This whole thing's not about how worthy you are. It's about how much I love you. And it says this, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. And now the, the people in the crowd that Jesus is telling this story to like, what in the world? What? I mean, the Pharisees are sitting there like, well, hold up. I'm not saying we don't take the kid back, but, I mean, this is kind of quick. I mean, is he really sorry? Does he really know what he's done? Has he made it up to us? And they had, I'm sure we should probably take him back one day, but doesn't he have some work to do first? And the dad was like, man, no way, no way. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger. The ring signified that this kid had all the rights of a son. Put it on his finger so everybody can see this is my son and he has all the rights that my son should have. Put it on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf. Man, go get the best one. Hire a DJ. We are going to party. He says, man, kill that calf and let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. See, if the son got what he deserved, there would have been a funeral, not a feast. But that's not how Jesus works. See, the son began to realize that I am never more alive than when I am in a right relationship with my loving father. See, the son thought, man, I'll I'll never be more alive until I can get to the far country and be involved in all that the world has. But he began... He very quickly understood that me being alive and being kind of making the most of my life, it's not about the far country, it's about my relationship with my father. That's what makes me alive. And you know what? This should have been the, this the end of the story right here. Jesus should have passed out the cookies and got some milk and like, let's all have cookies and milk. Good story time, Jesus. But there was a little bit more to the story. See, there was, remember what I said as Jesus was telling this story, there was the the younger son, and he was kind of the black sheep of the family, and and he would probably relate with maybe the tax collectors and sinners. They're like, we get him. That's kind of us. But there was another son, the older, responsible, hardworking, always did the right thing son, 
And let's see his reaction. As, as he began to hear, man, he's out in the field doing what responsible sons do. But he began to hear some, like, what's going on up at the house? It sounds like there's a party or what's going on? And he, he comes in, he starts to ask around, like, dude, what's going on? Oh, did you not hear your brother, man? He, the one that kind of went away, he's back, and we're so all so excited. Man, your dad's in there. You, I didn't know your dad had those kind of dance moves. He's getting down. They're partying in there. And the son, I'm sure he was like really happy and wanted to get right into the party, but that's not what happened. He said, but he was angry. He refused to go in. And, and in fact, his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command. Man, I kept all the rules. Yet you never gave me a young goat. That I might celebrate with my friends. We never had a party for me. But when this son of yours, like this, the reckless one, when, when he comes home, he's the one that's devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him? See, this older son, he began to see clearly his brother's sins, but he was blind to his own. See, it, I don't know if, if you're like me, but, but I, I do that a lot too. I, I mean, I can see your sin clearly, but don't, please don't point the mirror back at me. It's real easy to see the, the tax collectors and the sinners and, and all the junk that they're involved in. Man, it's easy to point that out. And, and the older son, man, he had kept all the rules and he had expectations of his dad. I've kept all the rules. You gave my brother, the jerk, reckless kid, all this, and I've done everything right, and so where's mine? He had expectations. And, and the question is, before we get too down on the older son, is there any of that in us? Like in your heart and mind, and, and man, we would never say this out loud, but who doesn't deserve a second, third, or fourth chance in your mind? How much does grace in other people's lives bother you? Like, I love when it, grace comes into my life, but, but where in your life, when you see grace given to somebody else, where does it bug you? Like, you would never say that, because you know that's not the thing you're supposed to say, but in your heart, you're like, oh, not again, of course. And, and, and this, is, this is the brother, man, this is what he did. See, but Jesus gave us such a tremendous example of this that literally while he was being butchered on a cross for my sin and for your sin, he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Such an example. Like, really, Jesus? The people that are, ki that are killing you, they're spitting on you, they're making fun of you, and you don't deserve any of this, but you're saying, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, what a tremendous example. And, and maybe there's a pushback. Maybe, maybe there's some pushback like, okay, that's all good. This grace thing is all good, but what about truth? See, you can't separate grace and truth. It's found in one person, and you can't separate them. When you get all of grace, you get all of truth. When you get all of truth, you get all of grace because that's who Jesus is. And so 
If you try to separate it, it just doesn't work. So, so truth might be in your life, hey, I abandon God. Grace might be, but Jesus says, I want to reconcile you and call you my friend. Truth might be, nobody knows how bad it is. Nobody knows what I've done. Nobody knows what a mess I've made my life. Grace is, I loved you at your worst. And I knew what your worst was before you did. Truth, I can't do it. Grace, you're right. I can. Truth, I'm an addict. I cheated. I fill in the blank. Grace, you're a son. You're a daughter. I can help you. See, Jesus is all of truth. Even when we fail constantly, and that is the truth, Jesus says, you know what? I ordained plans for you to prosper you. I, I had a plan for you before you were born. Failure is not final. See, all of grace and all of truth is put into one person. And, and here at City Walk, one of the things, if you look over our values, the very first value that we have is this. Jesus will always be our lead story. Always. Jesus, who is never compromises on grace and he never compromises on truth. And as he's literally talking to these two groups of people that have this expectations for Jesus, he, he makes clear to them that I am full of grace and I am full of truth and I invite you in to what I want to give you. And, and as he closes up this story, it says this, that the father is still talking to this older son, and it says, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Man, you've always been close. You know all of this is yours. And one of the things I think here is simply this. Jesus desires your presence before your obedience. He says, Man, come. You're with me. That's what I wanted. And now your, your brother who was way off, he wasn't with me. Now he's back. And that's what I make a big deal of. I love that he's here. He'll obey. He'll change. But we need him close for that to happen. And the story closes, verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. This daddy's literally trying to convince this older son. For this brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost. And he's. See church. We've got to be a place. Where we celebrate. When prodigals. Come home from the far country. Or from the next room. When, when prodigals who have gone to the far country and they've squandered everything and they've embarrassed everybody, when they come home, we celebrate. But we also celebrate when the, the legalistic, performance-driven brother comes in from the field and realizes that in his life, Jesus wasn't enough. It was always about doing and not being. And we celebrate when somebody comes home from that too. We celebrate prodigals because we're never more like Jesus than when we're celebrating people coming home to him. 
And so we're full of compassion because we know none of us are worthy of it. And so as we kind of wrap things up this morning, some of you right now, you've been in the far country. And you admit it, man, you you thought the far country had a lot more to offer than what you're getting. And you maybe are at a spot, and you put a really good face on so nobody knows about it, but you're at a spot in your life where you know the far country has not come through on its promises, and you know there has to be a better way. And my invitation to you is simply this, you can come home to Jesus Like he's waiting on the porch looking for you. You you don't have to clean up your clothes and get all the smell off from the pig pen. Just come home. Be present with Jesus and let his grace and truth do what his grace and truth does. And you can do that. See, you can't achieve grace. You meet it in the person of Jesus. And maybe you've stiff-armed Jesus because you've had wrong expectations of what you thought he expected of you. And it's time to lower your arms and come home. He's waiting. His invitation has always been, come and see. And when you come and see, you begin to understand that your expectations were wrong. Because here's what you can expect. You can expect to be fully known and fully loved by Jesus. No sin or dysfunction can take you further than his grace will reach you. What's interesting is that word prodigal. When you think of the word prodigal, usually you think of like wayward, kind of off the tracks a little bit. The word prodigal actually means reckless. Recklessly extravagant. And what's interesting about this story is Jesus is talking to the the sinners and tax collectors and the religious leaders. What's interesting is this whole story is about the recklessness of a son that met the recklessness of a father's love. And Jesus' desire was that both people, both groups would understand They could come home and be present in a relationship with a loving father that on their best day loved them and on their worst day loved them and desired to work in and through them to make him or her more like Jesus. That's what the invitation was. And so this morning, as we begin to close, for some it's maybe it's time to come home. Maybe it's time to come back. Maybe it's time to, you know, you know what? I'm not going to go try to get a job in the pig pen. I'm not going to try to fix this myself. I'm just going to, with my nastiness, with my past, with all the stuff that I'm kind of even embarrassed for people to know about, I'm just going to come home. Just going to come home. I'm going to drop my expectations of Jesus, and I'm just going to come home and believe that he truly does love me. And maybe that's you this morning. What better day? To come home. Or or maybe you're here and, and for you, you've been so focused on performance, you've missed presence. You're like, I do all this stuff, but Jesus is like, I just want you to be with me. 
I'm sitting here waiting for you to come and spend time with me, watching you try to earn my love, and it's getting old. And he's saying, man, just, just come be present with me. So what does that even look like? It, it, might, it might be for you this week, you know what? Taking out your Bible and opening it and reading through some of it, not so you can be a good Christian, but so you can get to know Jesus. Not so you can check it off a list, but because you just want to know your Savior and He wants to know you. It might be on your drive to work, turning sports radio off or the political commentary of the day and just saying, you know what, I'm just going to sit in silence and talk to God and be present and listen. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I, I would encourage you this. Whatever it does, don't do it alone. Because one of Satan's greatest temptations is to make you think what you're struggling with nobody else is struggling with. And if you let them know, they would look down on you. And my invitation to you is, hey, either come home, be present, but don't try to do it alone. That's why in a few weeks we're going to start talking more about city groups because, man, we didn't create City Walk Church so we could all come and look cute in rows once a week. Because haven't we tried that before? And it, has that worked? It's part of the deal, but it's not. No, community, so that on my bad day, you're there to lift me up. And on your bad day, I'm there to encourage you because we don't have it all together. And we are dangerous when we are left to ourselves. And so the invitation is come home, be present, but don't do it by yourself. Don't do it alone. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we just begin to wrap up this, this third message in this Unfiltered Jesus series. For some of us, this morning, we came in here with certain expectations of Jesus. We, we have expectations of Him, and, and we, we think He has some expectations for us too. And the expectations we have many times are very inaccurate. And so just in the quietness of this moment as the band kind of gets set and begins to play, are you at a place in your life where you simply just need to come home? Like you've been running, you've been trying things, you've been filling your life with what you thought was going to change things for you, but you've come up wanting You've come up with the same hole in your heart. And for you, the answer today is simply this. Jesus, I'm coming home. I don't have it all figured out yet. I don't know how I'm going to stop this addiction. I don't know how I'm going to fix my marriage. I don't have all the answers yet. But what I do know is I'm coming home to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just in the quietness of this room, would you, if that's you, would you say that to God in your heart? You admit to him, man, I don't have all the answers. I don't know how it's all going to get fixed. But I do know I can't do it alone, and so I'm coming home. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as I close and pray for you, if you're here this morning with nobody looking around and you would say, Chris, 
today, that's, that's my cry to God this morning is simply this. Today, I'm coming home. Would you just lift your hand? You'd say, today, I'm coming home. Anybody else? You just, just raise your hand. Today, I'm coming home. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and man, from the outward appearance, man, you look like you have it all together. We're fairly impressed with you, actually. But you know inside it's been all about performance. It hasn't been about being present. You don't remember the last time you were really close to God. And so for you, it's, it's you know what, this week, Lord, I'm just going to focus on being present with you, not performing for your favor. And would you just in the quietness of your heart, would you just tell God that? Would you confess that to God? God, I've just been performing, but I haven't been present. And I'm done. And you don't have to have it all figured out. Jesus moves when we're in a desperate place. Lord, I thank you so much for, Lord, many that just raised their hand this morning and just said, you know what, I don't have all the answers yet. I don't know how it's all going to change. I don't even need to think about all that, but here's what I do know is I'm not doing it alone anymore. I'm coming home. Coming home. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen those that have said that. Lord, I pray that you would, that they would feel even this morning your love and compassion like they've never felt before. And God, I pray that as they come home, that Lord, you would lead and guide them to what you have for them. And Lord, I pray for the others that maybe life's been all about performance and, and trying to make sure that you're happy with them. Lord, I pray that this week that they would take some time to be present with you. And Lord, we trust you. We're asking that you would change us from the inside out just because of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.